Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and one. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. We've got another instalment of our dream teams today. Today I'm joined by 2010 Premiership winner Jamie Soward. Mate, welcome back. Thanks for having me on the pod. Mate, it's a weird fucking time at the moment. Hey, how are you dealing with it all? <laughs> yeah, that, that probably um, you know, sums it up for everyone. It's, uh, I'm probably going a little bit stir-crazy at the moment, uh, not being able to, to just go out and enjoy some of the liberties, but... Yeah, you know, in saying that, I'm very lucky that um, yeah, my job's still going with the NRL and stuff like that. So I've been keeping busy as I can, but yeah, you know, just feeling for all those people out there that have lost jobs and uh, you know businesses and stuff like that. It's it's a weird time, and I think that you know mental health and you know even just walking to to get a coffee, like people are just really down at the moment. So yeah, you know, trying to to find little wins in every day and and keep punching, and yeah, you know, hopefully we get through it soon. Mate, it is a weird time, and as you said, it's the little things that we probably have taken. I've, I've definitely taken for granted my entire life, being able to go down to the park, take the dog for a walk whenever you want, those sorts of things. Even just, you know, sitting at the pub and having a couple of beers with mates. Like, I give my right arm to be there at the moment. Yeah, well, even just getting a haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's as simple as that. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I think that, you know, we... For the for the lay, you know, layman people, we don't understand, you know the messaging and whatever else is going on. So, you know, we're really looking for outlets and, you know, I'm lucky that the rugby league still stuck around and we can still talk some footy. So uh, I'm looking forward to this pod and, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things that, you know, podcasts are a big way of life at the moment. So sharing stories and, and listening to other people's stories and experiences, I think it's, uh, it's really important. So I'm looking forward to it. Mate, uh, let's dive into your dream team. And at fullback, uh, you've gone for... I, I still think it's amazing when we talk about the best fullbacks of all time. I just don't think this guy is mentioned enough. Darren Lockyer, of course, he moved to 5'8 and became one of the best 5'8s we've ever seen. But for me, I know people say that Billy Slater, he revolutionised the position. I think Darren Lockyer sort of kicked off that revolution personally. Tell me about Lockyer, mate. Yeah, I had Darren. It was a, I mean, it's a very tight one. You could argue both either, every way, I think, that you know, I'm a bit more of a rugby league savant and having played against Billy, you're right, he transitioned uh, what it meant to be a fullback and what fullbacks did, you know, throughout the game. I mean, game planning against him at fullback was an absolute nightmare. So, uh, but I went with Lockie. I found, like, he's, he's had time with the ball and he really, you know, paved the way for a guy like Billy Slater, um, you know, catching the ball on the full and I'm probably a little bit biased in the fact that he was bringing in the drop punt, you know, into the corner and, um, yeah, you know, I, I sort of put that into my game as well. So, um, yeah, I was a little bit 
probably swayed that way with the way that Lockie played in the um, you know in the early thousands and how good he was, and then the transition to five eight. I uh, couldn't have him at five eight, so I decided to to get him in the number one jersey. Let me ask you this, Jamie, mate. If we uh, if Lockie played out his entire career at fullback, do you think it'd be so cut and dry for people saying Slater's the best fullback they've seen? Uh, I don't know because Lockie obviously the pace, like he didn't have the pace of Billy, uh, and Billy, you know, was also surrounded by the greatest of all time, and in Cameron Smith, and then Cooper Cronk as well. Whereas Lockie sort of, um, even they had Alf and, and Kevy later on, you know, he probably didn't have the amount of help. Um, that he would have had at fullback in the seven and six role. So I, I'm not sure about that, but he was certainly, yeah, I think people forget how good Darren Lockyer was at fullback before he transitioned into one of the best five eights. And like I said, I couldn't have him at five eight, so I, and I wanted him in the side, so I, I pushed the button on the fullback. Mate, let's move to your wingers. And the first guy you selected, obviously recently retired, heartbreaking stuff this year, a former teammate of yourself at the Dragons, Brett Morris. Um, I don't think there's ever been a more reliable and a more consistent winger uh, in the entirety of our game. Tell me about BMOS. Yeah, BMOS just one of my favourite guys yeah, to, to play with, obviously, and, and but watch as well. I think that you know the way that he put himself in the right position to be able to make the play, uh, time after time, that consistency that he got. I mean, you, you know, you think about he started 2009 in reserve grade at the Dragons. We had Wendell Saylor and, and Jason Nightingale, and then he comes in and scores 45 tries, I think, in, in two years after missing the first couple of games. So, uh, yeah, I just loved playing with BMOs. I thought his finishing ability, uh, you know, the, the way that he turned half chances into tries uh, and could have that electrifying speed. I just couldn't have anyone else on the wing. Uh, for me, you know, that, that ability put with the way that he scrambled in defence and came up with, you know, so many defensive plays, especially at the back end of his career as well. I think he will go down as the best winger ever. Uh, and, you know, he hasn't always, you know, the Bulldogs, it probably wasn't his best uh, couple of seasons, but uh, he's, he put himself and reinvented himself at the back end of his career and uh, he's one of the nice guys as well. So, yeah, I went with Beamon's. I think, mate, without a doubt, 2010, he was on fire that year with you guys, a guy that you could tell me he was the best winger in the game then. And then we fast forward 10 years later, he wins a premiership with the Roosters. And for me, Jack White, and he got the Clive Churchill medal that that night. And, you know, you, you can probably talk more on it, but I thought his kicking game was unbelievable. And dare I say, if he was kicking to any other winger other than Brett Morris for the Roosters, I think the Canberra Raiders would have got more points out of that edge. He was unbelievable in that game, Brett Morris. He just, he brought the Roosters out of trouble. He went up and collected so many perfect kicks from Jack Wyden. That night really summed up for me who Brett Morris is in an era that's dominated by wingers full of highlights and that are probably stronger, faster than Brett Morris. It's his reliability just to do a job every single time. Totally agree. I felt like he and Daniel Supo you know, probably could have split the the Clive Churchill medal. I know that Jack, you know, played fantastic in a in a really good game, but yeah, you have if you go back and watch how many times Brett, you know, came up and made the play and got the got the Roosters out of trouble in one of those games that it was going to come down to one or two plays. You know, that Brett and, and Daniel kept turning away. So yeah, I totally agree. Mate, your other winger you chose, Greg Inglis here, obviously a guy that. Uh, at one point in his career, he was the best fullback in the game. At another point in his career, he was the best centre in the game. At another point in his career, he was the best 5'8 in the game. You've picked him on the wing. And, you know, that all sounds a bit crazy when you when you just say that sentence. But when you put it in context, co- people completely understand this selection. You just have to have him in there somewhere, don't you? Yeah, and having played against GI, obviously, it's, uh, it's a nightmare. When <laughs> I won't ask you about it. Across. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I, I, see, people think I... 
you know, I get embarrassed about it. And, you know, that, that stopped a long time ago. I think, you know, when it happened, obviously I was embarrassed because I'd missed a tackle and let in the try. But, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not embarrassed at the fact that I tried to tackle GI. I am mean, not the first or the last person that would have, you know, that have missed him. So, you know, you have, you talk about the talent that he had. And, you know, when he came into the rugby league world, he was electrifying fullback at North Devils and then transformed himself into such a, a great utility back that could have played anywhere. Uh, and you combine that with his skill and pace and ability to finish. And like you said, you know, he's so good at centre and fullback and, and five eight. But you know, when you when you're trying to pick your best team, you know, you put them and you make the uh, position where you can fit guys in. So yeah, I just thought GI on the other side with Brett Morris. I've got two finishes. I've got a big body to be able to kick to in GI. Uh, I've got a person who's going to start my sets as well. So uh, yeah, I'm sort of probably. Rather than just picking the best players, um, yeah, I'm more thinking if I had to play a game tomorrow and everyone was in their prime, what they would do for me in that position. And, uh, you know, Greg Inglis does that. And obviously, mate, when I look at your centres, I understand the selection of GI on the wing even more. Uh, two old school guys here. One's an immortal of our game. The other one is probably one of the most underrated players of all time. If he was made an immortal tomorrow, you wouldn't hear any arguments from me. The first guy that is an immortal, Mal Meninga, uh, the absolute juggernaut in lime green, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. I imagine this is a guy that you would have looked up to when you were younger. Yeah, born and raised in Canberra, you know, up until the age of 10, and Mal was probably the biggest thing um, down and around there. So, you know, his presence on the field, and, you know, I grew up, in the old school watching the old Winfield Cup you know kangaroo tours and all that kind of stuff and just seeing the presence that Mal had on those kangaroo tours and you know his big body I just think that you you put him in one centre and you've got a nightmare for the whole game and you know like I said I'm I'm picking the team as if I had to play it tomorrow and you pair him with Brett Morris or um, you know GI probably BMOS on that left wing or, or right wing whatever you want and um, you're able to come up with some strike power there. So Mal's such an in, intimidating figure on the field, and you know, I just, I, yeah, there was probably he'll probably go down as the best centre I think to to have played our game. Mate, there was a documentary that dropped on KO the other day about Ricky Stewart. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but he talks about Mal Meninga at one point, and he says that as long as Mal was on his team, as long as he crossed the white line for him, Mal could play his worst game or his best game, and he was confident they'd win because he just brought that aura and that that little bit extra touch to their team, an incredible footballer. Yeah, that's right. And and those guys, you know, are invaluable in your side. Once you 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 have those people, you know, for us, it was, you know, Dean Young. You know, once he suited up, you knew that it, it, it didn't matter what it, what was going to happen for the next 80 minutes, that he was going to find a way uh, to help you out. So, um, yeah, probably me a bit closely with both Scott, and you can see why Ricky speaks so highly about, about Mal. So, yeah, like I said, an intimidating figure uh, on the field, someone that I grew up and just couldn't believe how big he was and how mobile he was. And, you know, I think his career was probably cut short. I, my first grand final was a 94 grand final. And, uh, yeah, Mal's last ever game. So I was pretty lucky to be able to see that in person. Mate, obviously, Mal, uh, a larger than life figure, so strong, so fast. And I have a look at your other centre. Very different footballers, but just as talented. As I said, if this guy, Brett Kenny, was made an immortal tomorrow, I don't think you'd hear any arguments from me. My favourite my favorite thing about Brett Kenny is that he saved his best football for the biggest stages. Always on grand final day, he was, if not the best on the field, the second or third best on the field. An incredible player, the natural. And, yeah, you know, so skillful 
and <clears throat> excuse me, so skillful and and crafty. And you know, when you talk about when we get into my halves very shortly, you, know, you think about you know the the, the went head to head. You know, those were the guys that dominated. And Brett Kenny, you know, I agree, he was totally underrated. And you put him out in the centres and and have that bit of craftiness. I don't know if you can have two big powerful centres. I look at you know, like the Roosters set up at the moment, Joe Manu is so crafty and, you know, it's not necessarily brute power and force that he uses. He uses other ways to be able to, to get himself into the game and come up with plays. And I just feel like, you know, watching Brett Kenny, you know, when I grew up and seeing some of the highlights and that, he just looked like he had so much time and those guys are invaluable in your side. You know, you can throw them the ball and they're able to come up with plays based off their, their time with the ball. And, you know, Brett Kenny did that. Jamie, I think Brett Kenny is one of those guys that you can watch as much tape on him as you want. You can study him as much as you want. You just can't emulate what he was able to do, though. You've either got what Brett Kenny had or you didn't. It's not the sort of stuff that you can spend hours in the gym or hours on the training paddock and become like Brett Kenny. He just had something special, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's probably everyone thinks that they can be an NRL player and, you know, people work hard and, and work a lot on their craft to be able to get to that stage. Um, but you do have guys that are just superior talent. You know, there's, uh, Brett Kenny wasn't by any means the biggest body, but I just love the way that he was able to have time with the ball. I just think that that's a real skill and art that we don't see much anymore. You know, I think about a guy like Nico Hines, he's probably you know, very similar to, to Brett Kenny in, in, in fact that he has time when he's got the ball and he never looks stressed and you know, he comes up with the right decision. So, uh, yeah, definitely Brett Kenny um, yeah, was able to do that. Mate, you spoke about Bird having time with the football, and for me, I think it is the most dangerous asset in rugby league. And you're 5'8", he definitely had more time than anyone. Wally Lewis, a champion player, you mentioned that obviously Brett Kenny was the only guy that could sort of match it with Wally Lewis in the Origin Arena. And you hear the old stories about Queensland cheering whenever Brett Kenny was named in the Stenners instead of 5'8". I mean, it really is the greatest compliment, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, Wally, for me, was my favourite player growing up. Um, You know, being able to see what he did in the big moments and, and like I said you, if you've got Mal and, and Brett Kenny in your side you need someone who understands you know getting them the ball and not overplaying his hand but also can come up with the big plays in, in the tight moments and you know Wally Lewis was one of those guys that was so intimidating just by his presence you know you talked about Ricky Stewart and, and Mal you know think about that imagine looking across the circle and Wally Lewis is, is putting the boots on getting ready to go into war with you it, it just doesn't it doesn't seem real, you know. So I just felt like he was, you know, one of those guys that really transformed what it meant, you know, to, to be hated by, you know, somewhere but still go out and get the job done for me in my career. It sort of you know, highlighted the fact that, you know, I'll never forget him saying when they booed louder, it just meant they, not that they didn't like him, but that they respected him because they knew that he was going to be one of the best players. So... Yeah, Wally Lewis for me, uh, yeah, we're probably a little bit recency biased with what we've seen in the NRL and we've seen great five eights, you know, skill wise. But, you know, like I said, if you if you've got one game for for your life and you you've got these guys on the side, Wally Lewis was, was the king. I think Wally Lewis along with Brett Kenny as well, mate. I mean, as you mentioned, if you've got one game for your life, that game's gonna be on the biggest stages and that's where Wally Lewis did his absolute best work, obviously in the Origin Arena. For you, is he still the greatest Origin player you've seen? Uh, Joey was pretty good. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I think that you know, Cameron Smith, those guys, again, we're, we're sort of comparing you know, errors as well. I think that whenever we talk about 
um, you know, best ever. We're, we're looking at a different game right now to what we were watching on the VHS, as I said at the start when we were growing up. So, yeah, I just feel like you have Wally in your side and he just knew how to win the big moments. So, yeah, I, I think that he's probably the best origin Queenslander in terms of big moments, but then that's not disrespecting Jonathan Thurston, Cameron Smith, you know, Billy Slater, all those guys have come up with big moments, but you know, had to start somewhere and you look back at the old tapes and, and Wally, when Queensland were up against it, he usually came up Trump. So yeah, I think like Wally for me is probably the best Queensland player uh, in that era. And then you go on to the modern day ones that have been in the NRL and, and sure those guys are, and Cameron Smith's the greatest of all time in any any in any game. So, yeah, I sort of get your point, but it is hard to compare. I think we start to get into murky waters if we start to compare, you know, Wally's the style of game that he was playing in versus what Cameron Smith and that were playing in now. But you know, he certainly won the big moments for Queensland and, and almost made that rivalry. You know, with Arthur Beaton, and you look back at the old tapes, it was it was a better game to watch probably than and some of the games we've seen this year in the NRL. Mate, I asked you about if Wally Lewis was the best origin player you'd seen, and straight away the name that you mentioned uh, alongside him was Andrew Johns. He is, of course, your halfback in this side. Can I ask you, obviously the end of his career and the start of yours, it would have overlapped a little bit. Did you have the opportunity to play against Joey? No, I was filthy because he got injured in 2005, and I made my debut then, uh, and then you know, I didn't get the chance to play him uh, before he retired, but yeah, Joey was. Everyone always talks about Thurston and, and Joey, and yeah, I don't think Jonathan Thurston is is the player without the influence of Joey before him and what he was able to do. And you know, you talk about the banana kicks, and but his vision, you know, that Origin game where he plays and the vision that he comes up with, going back on the inside to Danny Vadiris, and it's one the of the best balls of all time, isn't it? Yeah, and the way that he was able to get his centres involved, and you only have to listen to Joey talk. I've been lucky enough to to talk a bit of shot with him and you know it's it's hard because you, you're trying to listen to what he's saying but you, you're sort of in awe that you're talking to him and you know he spoke about in origin when he came in game two uh, you know about getting Gaz the ball and where, where he gets the ball and he sort of just jumped in for a set and threw Gaz the ball and was like you could tell Gaz was a lot happier that Joe was throwing him the ball than me so um, <laughs> yeah I just think big moments yeah, you know, like I said, I've my back line is filled with guys that uh, knew they could well, would do the job uh, and could win the big moments and were probably some of the greatest ever in their position. So I don't think too many people would argue with my back line. Um, we've had so many great halfbacks throughout the NRL in, in the history. And, uh, yeah, I think if you had to narrow it down to two, it would be between JT and also... Um, you know, Andrew Johns. But, yeah, I'd probably gave the nod to Joey. Mate, you obviously mentioned that 05 Origin Series, and I think people quite often forget the narrative behind that. Game one, Brett Kamali's the halfback. He throws the intercept to Matt Bowen. They drop him. They move Trent Barrett from six to seven, and then Trent Barrett gets ruled out on the Sunday, three games before that Origin 2, with New South Wales down 1-0, and Joey comes in on the Sunday night. He's got Monday, Tuesday, and then game day, and he puts in two of the most dominant performances in the Origin arena after not playing footy for like eight weeks. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and that just adds to the to the yeah the aura that was Andrew Johns. And like I said, every time that I've had the chance to sit down and talk to him, it's it's hard because I'm, I'm trying to take in everything that he's saying. 
uh, or even when he's commentating. But I'm also trying to envision, you know, he's five, six, seven steps ahead of everyone else. So, uh, yeah, that, that performance will go down as one of the best ever because of the um, yeah, circumstances surrounding that. Mate, let's dive into the engine room and up front, uh, two champion front rowers, two two guys that won comps at the Brisbane Broncos. The first guy, Shane Webke, uh, obviously retired in 2006 with a premiership, one in 2000 as well, a couple of premierships in his career. Um, mate, was this an easy choice for you? Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I think the forwards, like definitely the front row was probably the easiest part of this yeah, this process. Um, you know, picking Shane Webke, he was so good uh, in terms of and and who I paired him with as well. Um, he was just able to get the job done. Yeah, a real powerhouse and so good for so long. I think that you know when I picked the side, the backs are sort of you know fullback. I sort of had you know options and you know the wings. I guess there was a few options there, centers, and then you get the five eights and halves. And I really went through a process, but. Probably the front row for me was the easiest. You know, I had Shane Webkew go down as, you know, for me, one of the, the sort of top two or three uh, props ever. And, um, yeah, based off his his career, he was always the best in the game and, and finished that way with a, with a win in 2006. And, of course, mate, the guy you've paired him with, uh, another guy that I think a bit like Brett Kenny is a little bit underrated because he hasn't really stayed in the public eye of rugby league, Glenn Lazarus, of course, won premierships with the Canberra Raiders, moved to the Broncos, won back-to-back premierships there, and then the Melbourne Storm started this franchise in, you know, rugby league wilderness and decided who's going to be the guy that's going to lead us, and they went for a true winner. And, of course, within two years' time, he's lifting another premiership at the Melbourne Storm, three premierships at three different clubs, including two new franchises in the Broncos, well, essentially three new franchises, Canberra, Brisbane, and the Melbourne Storm. An incredible career. The Glenn Lazarus, yeah. <laughs> it was just... He's such an intimidating figure. You, you meet him. I met him in Origin Camp, and I was just like, wanted to get his autograph and sit down and, and listen to the stories. But you know, you need guys that you can build your team around. And you know, with Shane Webke there on one side and Glenn Lazarus on the other, I don't think you'd, you'd have too many problems in being able to go forward. But also, not many too, not many players would be coming through the middle. So you know, I looked at those two guys, and yeah, you know, he was so successful in what he was able to do, Glenn Lazarus in in winning competitions and, and being the, at the forefront of that. He wasn't just a role player. He was, you know, the leader in, in those sides. And you can see why everyone, you know, he's underrated probably because he's not in the media uh, as much. But those people that play with, with Lazo and have been able to meet him speak so highly of him. So, yeah, I think that, you know, you pair him with Shane Webke and I've almost got the dream team of, of front rowers. Mate, was it an easy decision who you handed the nine jersey to? Oh, yeah, there's. I, I sort of con- consulted a few people. Um, my stepdad and I have talked about this for years. And I think he made me write my first ever greatest team when I was about yeah uh, nineteen twenty when I first started playing first grade. And um, you know, it's, he, he opened up my eyes to a lot of things. And he's been a Danny Badiris thing uh, fan for a long time. But 
yeah, it was. I think it's an easy decision to make. Mate, Cam Smith, obviously his career has been unbelievable. And dare I say, mate, if you were to split his career in half, you could almost pick Cameron Smith as your best hooker ever in either half of his career. It really is incredible. It is. And, you know, we spoke about Brett Kenny and having so much time. Well, you know, there's, there's a guy, Cameron Smith, who's been doing it for longer uh, and, and more, well, just as successful. Uh, based off the fact that he doesn't overplay his hand and he manipulates the defence to give himself time. And yes, he's had some quality players and Billy Slater and also you know, Cooper Cronk. But if we have a look at you know the the longevity of how long he's been able to do it for, plus you look at the fact that he did it without those two guys uh, in winning a and <laughs> winning a championship, it, it's it is really remarkable. So yeah, again, I'm looking at a whole body of team here. I'm looking at, you know, when Joey needs the ball, well, you know, Danny Badiris would have been my next choice. Uh, and then I think it's, you know, there's daylight between the rest of the field. But, yeah, I look at, you know, Cameron Smith and the way that he can control a game and, and be able to get Joey the ball and then have Wally on the short side, potentially with Lockie. That, that for me, is, you know, I've got, I've got a three-headed snake anywhere on the field who, who can attack at any time. Plus, I've got some power in the middle to be able to lay that platform. Mate, as we dive into your second rowers, uh, you know, the, the team that you've picked, they would need no help setting a good culture in this team. But these are two guys that I think the highlight of the career is their culture that they set at the clubs they go to. The first one is Sonny Bill Williams. Uh, we obviously saw the impact that he had on the Sydney Roosters when he arrived in 2013. You're obviously playing for the Penrith Panthers at the time. I mean, it was incredible what he achieved when he returned there. Yeah, it was. And, yeah, I remember sitting on a bus coming from Canberra to Sydney to play the Bulldogs uh, in Sydney. And we were excited. You know, there would be a lot of talk about this Sonny Bill Williams guy, and I'd never heard of him before. And, um, you know, they said, that, thank goodness he's not playing. And I was like, oh, is he good? And, uh, yeah, the name sounded cool. And then, yeah, you fast forward and having the chance to play against Sonny in the NRL is, you know, what he did for, you know, the culture at the Roosters certainly put them on the, the path to where they are today is one of the most successful brands uh, in Australian sport and then most successful teams over the last 10 years. So, uh, yeah, for me, you know, Sonny on one side, his ability to be able to ball play plus run over someone I think was important. And, you know, I'd have him on the side with Wally Lewis. Uh, yeah, that fact that he could give him early ball and come up with plays uh, and then also be able to, you know, skim back through the middle if, if Wally turned him underneath. Uh, for me, that that was the appealing fact. But, yeah, if I had to set a coach, I mean, it's one game. I don't know how much coach you get to set. But, yeah, for one game, I think that you, you look at Sonny and um, his leg speed and, and powerful carries out of the back end as well for me are really enticing. And, mate, if you don't look at Sonny Bill, you're definitely going to look at your other back rower, Ben Kennedy. Um, obviously a champion out of the Newcastle Knights, achieved so much up there. In my opinion, Joey was unbelievable in the 01 Grand Final, but if you were going to give the Clive Church to anyone else, it would have to be Ben Kennedy. He was uh, just crazy in that game. And then, of course, a couple of years later, he makes the move to the Manly Seagulls, and he only plays two seasons there. They don't win a premiership in those two years, but it kicks off just an unbelievable era for the Manly Seagulls, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it, as he should. Uh, a guy that was named in the Manly Seagulls' best team of, I think, the last 50 years after playing only, you know, 50-odd games of first grade there, an incredible footballer, BK. And, yeah, after you listen to Joey talk about how much he loved playing with BK, Steve Simpson, and, yeah, you know, I had to have 
Sonny in my side and BK on the other side running lines and being able to protect Joey and you know that combination for me for Newcastle watching the going to the 2001 Grand Final you're right because you know they really tore a successful Parramatta side apart just with their ability to be able to hit lines on an edge and, and come up with plays so yeah BK and, and Sonny either side I've sort of got a bit of flair and you know, foot speed and you know, someone that can ball play on, on one side and then I've got a real tough nut the other side. And I think that's, you know, that's what you need in a side. You need that little bit of mix. You know, you've got the engine room, you've got the, the front rowers, but then you've got to have someone on an edge that's going to be really tough and uncompromising. I feel like BK did that. Mate, Jersey 13, you're going for a modern-day player, Jason Malolo. Have we ever seen a better metres guy in rugby league? Nah, and, you know, this one was probably my hardest one. You know, I had... I could have played Brad Fittler there. I could have had Wally there and Cliff Lyons at 5'8". Um, I could have had Bradley Clyde there, who was probably one of the, the best 13s. Uh, but I think when I did this, you know, I was coming off the back of you know, Jason Tamalolo. He hasn't had the best year this year, to be honest. Um, and last year wasn't great either. But you look at how he played in the 2017 season and you know, his ability to be able to have footwork through the middle. And, you know, like I said, I'm picturing that if I'm the coach of this team, or well, not you'd have the coach, but uh, you'd have Blocker, uh, sorry, you'd have uh, Lazo first and then Webke, and then you'd have Jason Tamalolo, and then you'd fin- probably finish with an outside back, and then you'd be able to kick with Joey or Wally. So, yeah, for me, Jason Tamalolo, I think that he's really um, transformed what that 13 is. It's maybe going away out of that big style now, and you're seeing more mobile ball playing 13s. So maybe. You know, transitioning into the front row wouldn't be too far away from Jason. But, uh, yeah, I just thought that the way his footwork and, and power through the middle, I, I thought that, you know, that had to be in the side as well. And, you know, at times he doesn't get enough credit because he run, he's expected to run for 250 metres every game. He's expected to be the best player in the field. Uh, and he doesn't have much help around him at times, in, you know, in that Cowboys side. So if I put him in this side with so many legends and great players, yeah, he may run for 600 metres. He's that good. Mate, I do feel sorry for Tao Malolo. I think he sets such a high standard for himself that it it can be hard to live up to it week in, week out. And I think people also forget, I mean, he's still a young guy, realistically. It's scary, the player he is at the age he's at. Yeah, and that's why I thought, you know, maybe he needs to move into the front row and, and you know, be taking that weight away from having to do so much, you know, if he was had his job simplified a little bit and, you know, was, uh, and that's going to be the hardest thing is, is telling a guy that we need because they've tried him on an edge, it doesn't work, he's not mobile enough to be able to defend shape. Uh, but if you put him up front and you had a, a Reese Robson or a smaller 13 that can distribute to the edges, you may be able to see the best out of Jason Tamarillo. But, you know, the game's changing now and he's still only a young man. Uh, the 10-year deal was something that we've never seen in, in rugby league you know, too much other than him and Cherry Evans. And you know, now you're looking at a guy like Payne Haas who's the same body type in the front row. So, yeah, I think, Jason, when you those guys set such high standards for, for themselves with breakout seasons, it, sometimes it can be hard to live up to when the team that around you is not uh, as good. I think it's an unreal 13, mate. And there's obviously a couple of names that you've mentioned that missed. Uh, you obviously mentioned Thurston, Freddie, Bradley, Clyde, Danny Badiris. If you had to pick one guy that was the unluckiest not to make your side, is there a standout for you? Uh, um, I'd probably say Slater. Yeah, I think that he's, yeah, speed. Uh, like I said, I remember my first trip down to Melbourne. 
Now I was with the Roosters and we were trying to game plan how to, to take Billy Slater out of the game. And, you know, we just had a plan that we were going to sacrifice metres on our kick just to roll it into touch to try and so he wouldn't be able to bring the ball back. And, yeah, when you're doing plays like that, and, and that means you're taken away from what you're all trying to do, which is win the game because you're sacrificing so much uh, to not have someone bring the ball back, then that really you know, plays in your mind. So I think Billy Slater was probably the most unluckiest for me. I think, mate, just coming off the back of what you said there as well, I mean, Slater was one of the guys that we had to change the rules of the game for. Obviously, you weren't allowed to kick the ball <laughs> dead. I mean, and I, and I, well, I'm sure you probably played a role in that just quietly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we The first game, 2010, uh, Jared Hayne uh, torched us at Cogger and we bowed out straight sets. They brought in the rule that, uh, well, that, I think that year, that you can't kick it dead. Uh, you, yeah, you can't kick it dead. I think it was 2011, actually. And, uh, yeah, the first game at Parramatta, the old Parramatta Oval, uh, yeah, Jared Hayne, we were a bit frightened of him bringing it back 100 metres. So I think I put one, one of my first kicks was about six rows on the full <laughs> yeah, dead yeah, in the in goal, uh, just so we could walk down to the 20 metre line. So, um, yeah, that's that's part of it. You know, the Titans did it down there in Olympic Park and it took the negativity out of the game. So I understand that. Uh, seven tackle rule but yeah now we're seeing yeah those that sort of rotted uh, what it takes you know away from young halves in the game now they don't kick early anymore because they're scared of seven tackles they don't kick on the line they don't kick for their wingers because of the seven tackle rule and escorts and all this stuff so um, yeah in a way at the time I, I understood it and but now I think it's transitioned to the game and it's actually rotted a lot of young halves and stuff, or a lot of young halves in their thinking and, and kicking and game management, stuff like that, which is why we see uh, a real lack of high-quality players in the NRL from 1 to 16 in the teams. Uh, for, for me, mate, the real change I'd love to see around this is that it's not a 20-metre restart if it's a kick from inside your red zone from the 20-metre line and beyond. I think that'll be a fantastic rule change. Yeah, I've been advocating for that for years. Uh, I had it inside the 30 because you know, I looked at guys like Brett Kamali and Jonathan Thurston who used to go down a short side and, and roll it in the in goal from 30 metres out uh, to get a repeat set. And if you go out and kick from 30 metres out, it's bloody hard to do yeah. on the run. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that with escorts in the 20 and stuff like that, you know, you could have it either way. If it was the 20, it was the 20, but... Yeah, you know, we just don't see that creative thinking anymore because everyone's scared of seven tackles and then you pile that on with the six again, you know. If you come up with a bad kick, uh, you might not see the ball for the next six, seven minutes, but if you just run it into a corner, you know, it's boring, uh, but you're going to see it's probably a, a momentum swing or a chance to try and swing the momentum uh, off the basis of that. So just before I let you go, last thing I want to ask you, you mentioned Billy Slater. Um, obviously, for you, there was a you know a three or four year period there where I think there was no doubt that you had the best kicking game in the NRL and you were so confident in your kicking game. When you were coming up against Slater the week leading up to it, was it more challenging than any other fullback that you've ever played working out your kicking game and trying to hit the ground? Uh, yeah, but I, yeah, the the old rugby league week. It's funny because I never really looked at stats much um, throughout my career while I was playing. Uh, it was. Yeah, the rugby league week would come out and um, I'd flick. The only stat I looked at was um, they used to have a stat called finding the ground or kicks to open ground uh, in the old rugby league week. I don't know if you remember it or not, yeah. but 
you know, I prided myself on being the best in the competition at that and, and finding the ground for me was important on so many levels because it gave my chase time to be able to, to work their way down the field. Plus, it gave us a chance to be able to win field position and I knew that I was in rhythm if I was finding the ground. So when you come up against Billy Slater, you know, you, you're preparing for, okay, should we change angles on him? Should we, you know, should you turn me under and I kick back across the ruck? Should I banana it? Uh, and then, you know, all those things were going through my head. And then Wayne Bennett comes to the club and says, look, just trust your best. Your first kick is your best because if you change your mind, you're going to get yourself into trouble. So, you know, preparing against Billy was, hey, he's going to catch some on the full. Uh, we get that. But we're, we're going to make sure that, you know, we're not going to kick on the play four every single time. We might play to the end. We might, you know, roll one along the ground. We might be able to, to kick early in a set uh, to try and turn some momentum. And, and the game was quite different and you had more chances to do it. But, um, yeah, I found those times that I'd played against him and especially Jonathan Thurston that they were exciting weeks because you knew that you were playing against the best. And um, in origin, we, we had the chance to, to try and, you know, go up there and get a day against Billy and, you know, it is hard to, to try and find the ground, but that was, yeah, one challenge that I always loved um, was trying to, I think I only beat them once uh, in the NRL uh, the whole time that I played Melbourne. No no times down in Melbourne, but, yeah, you, you enjoy those challenges. It's probably once more than most blokes, to be fair, though, mate. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a good night there because we were cooking, so it was good. Mate, so I really appreciate your time once again. It's a fantastic one to 13. Uh, thank you for your time, mate. I hope everything's going well with the family and kids and whatnot. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate it. Thanks for that. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.